Welcome to Redevelopment Trailblazers, where we talk to the innovators who tackle complex issues to help rebuild America's distressed communities. These pioneers have worked to strengthen the redevelopment economy throughout their careers, using creative, sustainable, environmental, and economic practices to transform the country's most challenging brownfield sites, neighborhoods, and regions. Hi, this is Leslie Parrish, and I'll be your host for Redevelopment Trailblazers. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm joined by Annika Colston, the founder and president of AC Power. AC Power focuses on the development of solar on brownfield sites, sites like closed landfills, sand and gravel pits, quarries, and formerly mined coal sites, essentially bringing together expertise in redeveloping challenging sites like those with solar development. Today, we're going to be talking about the process that AC Power undertakes, working with really a variety of stakeholders to redevelop sites in this way, and how interested site owners, developers, and communities might consider solar in their redevelopment strategies. So Annika, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Leslie. I'm so excited to be here. Great. Well, you know, I'd love to start off by just having you describe for us how you became involved in this work and what gave you the idea to really focus on solar as your redevelopment strategy. Yeah, so I've been uh, in the renewable energy space for a long time, uh, developing renewable energy projects since the late 90s. And throughout my career, I've always been drawn to the underdog, you know, rooting for the project that had some significant barrier preventing it from moving forward. The technology was generally market ready, but the project was not as economically attractive or was perceived as risky or too complicated. So in 2015, I sold a portfolio of small-scale landfill gas to energy projects and was looking for my next move. I was well aware of the rapidly growing solar market, but I couldn't find my underdog angle. And then I recognized that given my landfill experience, I could support redevelopment of closed landfills that were often a nuisance and required continued investment with no revenue generation. So I founded AC Power with the mission of transforming undervalued land into revenue generating solar fields. We're very unique in the market that in the solar market as we are the only firm that specializes in these types of projects since their inception. When others say it's too complicated, we say, let's figure it out. Hmm. And our goal is to overcome the challenges to redevelop as many sites as possible. And frankly, I couldn't love what I do more. That's great. I'm, you mentioned, you know, you're the only company that's really since its founding has focused on this strategy, solely focused on this strategy. And that makes me wonder, how common is this type of redevelopment effort as you're looking across the country to redevelop brownfields and really challenging sites into some sort of solar development opportunity? And what kinds of policies or, you know, stakeholder support have to be in place to make this economically viable and and just feasible for the site owners? Yeah, that's a great question. And unfortunately, this type of redevelopment isn't common enough today. But the good news is that it's becoming more viable and there are more and more stakeholders providing education and policy support to raise awareness. The opportunity is enormous, and if we don't repurpose these sites, I believe we're missing a huge opportunity. The National Renewable Energy Lab estimates that 
total contaminated land for solar development after you consider slopes and land restrictions is about 13 million acres. Another statistic is that there are over 10,000 closed and inactive landfills around the U.S. that could host at least 63 gigawatts of solar capacity, which is enough to power 7 million homes or you know, all of the state of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the last statistic I'll provide is that the American Clean Power Association um, says that there are over 450,000 brownfield sites in the U.S. that could uh, be used for redevelopment. So there, that said, the development of solar on contaminated sites does require supportive policies and a market to sell the renewable energy into. And so one of those markets could be community solar or selling remotely to a large end user. Very exciting that the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act last August will infuse $369 billion into the clean energy market as a whole, which will offer significant upside to these types of projects and hopefully make open up a huge market opportunity nationwide. And I think one of the big barriers to this type of development is that these sites often lack clean title. Many of the sites have been abandoned by their original owners because they became environmental liabilities. So if you look back to the 70s and 80s, when we were not as well informed as we are now, we were contaminating these sites. And then with the passage of the Superfund Act and others, EPA programs that place these environmental liabilities, there wasn't the resources to clean these sites up. So they've been abandoned and they have liens on the properties, delinquent taxes. And so there's no means to lease the property and redevelop it. So AC Powers successfully structured projects where an investment partner will take title to the site once AC Power is able to generate the clean title and fully develop the project. And we think this also creates an incredible market opportunity and will make so many more projects feasible. Great. I'm wondering, you know, when you're talking to a developer or you've identified a site, what does the thought process look like for determining, you know, whether and how to make solar a component of a site redevelopment efforts? So, you know, what if you put on your kind of site owner or developer hat, what kind of factors are you considering when you're thinking about, you know, maybe solar on its own or solar in addition to residential or warehouse or office use? You know, should solar even be part of this at all? Yeah. Yeah. So the first step is to assess exactly that is, is solar appropriate for this site? And the first thing is, you know, evaluating two key points. First, what was the contamination or disturbance history? Has the site been remediated? And would solar be considered a permitted final end use? So if if we believe that you can if solar will be the permitted end use, then we want to understand whether solar is actually the best and final end use. And so solar is not often the most profitable end use for a site. It's the annual lease revenue paid to the landowner is not the highest value among all of the options. And if that's the case, then it's really not a great candidate for solar. 
in other words, if the site could be remediated for affordable housing or a warehouse, then solar is not likely to compete as valuable as those other options. But that said, these redevelopment opportunities still demand energy. Affordable housing needs energy and warehouses need energy. So we believe that a portion of these sites can be allocated to solar or batteries. And we're excited about those opportunities too. The second gating item, if you decide that it has been remediated and solar is the best and final end use, then it's important to assess how much solar can be developed at the property. And so we take into account the topography, site conditions, wetlands, floodplains, setbacks, zoning, all sorts of, you know, if there are institutional controls at the site or they need access to wells or to con- for continued O&M, that those areas need to be Um, set aside and there needs to be adequate setbacks to be able to access those points. So once you complete that evaluation, you want to make sure that there is enough land to make the solar project worthwhile. And generally, you can use a rule of thumb that about four acres of land can accommodate about one megawatt of power. That's great. That makes sense. And then when when you are looking at these sites where, you know, maybe a portion of it's being used for solar another portion is being used for redeveloped into other uses. Is that solar then generating power for, for that exact site? Is it, is it being used elsewhere? Um, yeah. Does it kind of depend on the property or in the project? It does depend, you know, site by site location, but if you can try to redevelop keeping the community needs in mind, then the best option would be to develop a solar project at that site that could serve the needs of what's situated on that particular redevelopment parcel or be able to support the community. And so these community solar projects allow local residents and those who aren't going to put solar on their homes to be able to buy into solar at a reduced cost at that local facility. So it can be a, you know, a value added proposition as part of the whole kind of redevelopment plan. Great. I'm wondering if you could follow up with that, with giving us maybe a scenario. So if you could walk us through the process of developing a solar project on one of the sites, maybe one that you've done it with AC Power, maybe starting with identifying a potential site, so you're at the very initial stages, all the way to when the solar panels are turned on and are fully operational. Yeah, I would love to walk you through the the process, also being mindful that we would likely need a few hours to do that. As the the Cliff Notes version. And something as benign as a site not having legal access road can throw a whole project development, you know, off course. But I will highlight the major steps that a project needs to pass through and will bring up examples of projects that we've recently completed that we're very proud of. Generally, as a project advances through the process, it continues to sort of check off these viability criteria. And so the further it gets through the process, the more likely it is to be viable and to not run into a dead end. We generally break the project development process up into three major categories, the initial due diligence, the project development, and then the pre-construction. 
So during the due diligence, we identify a site owner uh, or a site and then it's site owner. And there can be you know, all sorts of different ways that we can identify sites. There can be publicly available databases, either through the federal government, through EPA and DOE, brownfield programs, Superfund databases, surplus sites, and then individual states can also have a site of their brownfields. You know, New York has a very extensive brownfield database. And then we try to make contact with site owners. And that can be a big challenge, as I said, because there is often not a readily available site owner for for many Mm -hmm. So once we do that and we have some indication of interest, then we'll complete a desk study of the developable area and develop a set of project assumptions so we can prepare an economic model for the project. And this allows us to say, you know, under the following scenario, we believe that the project will be feasible. And that is really that it will be feasible for the landowner, that there's going to be sufficient lease revenue or incentive for them to participate. It's going to be viable for AC power and that there's going to be, you know, an interested long-term operation for the next 25 to 35 years. And that takes into account a lot of uncertainty. So we're just making sort of best guesses as far as we can at that stage. We share the proposal with the landowner and ultimately we have to execute a site control document. So we need the exclusive right to develop solar at that site. So in the beginning, that might be an option to lease or you may go straight into a lease agreement. And then we would move into the development phase. And the first thing that we do, and this goes for any solar project, is the interconnect application. And so all solar projects, this is probably the single biggest qualification for a project. If the cost is too excessive and the timeline is too long to interconnect, then many projects will just be deemed non-viable and they will not be able to proceed. And so this is a significant gating item and the time it takes to determine whether you are able to interconnect also varies greatly from state to state or utility to utility or you know interconnection service organization to service organization so unfortunately there's not a lot of standardization there but there are certain states that are where you can readily develop a project and others where you will have to have considerable patience we we could say So we tended to start that task first because that can be a long lead time item. The next step is to explore offtake. And, you know, they're a very common theme for solar projects is to be able to do a net metered project. So we put it onto a rooftop, sell it to the end user. But for these, you know, solar redevelopment projects, these sites are often uh, not near a, any other end users. And so if they are not nearby somebody who can use the power, then you have to explore other sources of offtake. And as I mentioned before, community solar is a really great option for these sites because it gives the local residents the ability to purchase the electricity through their utility at a discount to their current bill. And often these projects will reserve a large share for low or moderate income residents, which is a great additional project benefit. 
So we find that, you know, if we can support community solar at a site, that is our preference. And we can really build that into a a whole community benefit program to uh, make the project more attractive to the area. And we also look at other state and federal incentives. So we could do a whole podcast also on the Inflation Reduction Act and how those incentives will drive development for these types of projects nationwide. But it's essential that solar projects on previously disturbed properties have sufficient revenue to support the large upfront payments. And so community solar can often be a large enough driver because you're selling at a residential utility rate. But if not, then you need to have incentive tax credits or you need to have local state programs. And there are more and more state programs that are geared toward brownfield redevelopment exclusively or specifically because they want to ensure that these types of sites that may be more complicated and more costly are redeveloped because they are great candidates overall for solar. So um, along with the interconnection, this is a big gating issue for projects. If there's no viable offtake or if you can't generate sufficient revenue, then projects will often fizzle out right here. The next step, and this is kind of done concurrent along with interconnection and offtake, is the permitting process. And of course, permitting for these types of properties is extensive and can be significantly more time-consuming and costly than traditional solar projects. But we early on want to ensure that we've engaged all of the possible stakeholders, so the town, county, state, federal if necessary. And this step includes permitting for site plan approval, as well as approvals from the State Department of Environment or sometimes the, the EPA. And they're going to be looking at how will the solar project affect the remedy or environmental solution at this site. And the priority is to ensure that we are still maintaining health and human safety at the site and the surrounding community. So we need to prove that solar is going to be a great complement to what's already being done at the site. And we find that we've been very successful there at getting all of the stakeholders engaged, even you know at the Superfund site with a group of potentially responsible parties, for instance, and with community groups, local community groups that may be concerned about what might be happening at a site that may be um, infamous for what it had been previously known for. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the last thing I, I'm not going to go into in detail, but given the nature of these sites, the title review is another critical step in the development of the process and can't say enough how important title review is because of existing, you know, encumbrances or easements or, you know, a lack of access or lack of insurable components to the to the title review. So, That kind of rounds out the project development process. And during the pre-construction phase, we finalize the project financing, which requires, you know, meeting an extensive closing checklist and really that, you know, ensuring the project will meet all of the financing requirements. And so if title is being transferred for the site, it would happen at this step. And that's when our partner would step in and take title so that we can then move on to construction. So as I mentioned, this timeline can vary greatly from region to region, and often the longest lead time is interconnection. 
in New York State, we can take a project from site control to the start of construction in less than a year. In Virginia, it can take us three years to get through interconnection. So it is important to make sure that you fully understand the process and the timeline in your local community. So once the actual construction is ready to start, I mean, there, there are still equipment delays. Obviously, supply chain issues persist. And so there can be equipment purchases that need to happen early on in the process so that that's not a delay. But construction of these projects is generally very straightforward, very easy, which is great because for some of these sites, you know, you don't want a lot of disturbance. And so they can have construction companies doing the construction for maybe three to six months. And so it's a very short disturbance period. That's sort of a, bre- a really quick, high-level overview. You know, I will touch on one project, if I can, that we're very excited about in Old Bridge, New Jersey, where our investment partner is taking title to a former Superfund site that's there called the Global Landfill. And AC Power was awarded a Community Solar Pilot Program Award from the state of New Jersey. And so it's a highly competitive program, which we were very excited to to see this project awarded because it is a very complicated site that had an absentee owner. And so there were millions of dollars of unpaid property taxes at the site. And so we worked really closely with Old Bridge Township to enter into a pilot agreement, a financial agreement, and have AC Power deemed as the redeveloper. So we were very excited to get this site back onto the property tax rolls and for the property to be able to generate revenue for the town moving forward. Another exciting component of the project is that we focused on some workforce development. And so we partnered with the community college to offer training, NAVSEP certification, and through scholarships to some of their students. And that was a very exciting part of the project to be a part of. And since it was a community solar project, we had at least 50% of the subscribers as low and moderate income. So that project is scheduled to start on-site construction in June, and it will be up and running by November. So it's a good example of the types of projects that we're doing now and, and hope to do you know, many, many more in the future. Great. Well, we have about a minute left, but I'm wondering if you have any kind of call to action or any kind of inspiration for some of our listeners who have probably, you know, listened to this process and are interested in, you know, how this might work in their own community or maybe a developer or site owner that's looking at options for a brownfield property. What should their next step be in kind of exploring this option? Well, I'm so glad you asked that, Leslie. I do have a request, and that would be we need to get the word out. And we need every owner of low-value property, every tax collector that knows about an abandoned or low-value land, every mayor committed to environmental justice and economic development, and every site remediation professional or lawyer working with corporations managing environmental liability to step up and identify these sites as candidates. Learn about this extraordinary opportunity of solar on brownfields and share it far and wide. Call AC Power. You can tell your town officials, but we just want people to spread the word that these sites are great candidates and should be redeveloped. 
Well, great. Well, we have our marching orders. So thank you. And thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us on this. Thank you, Leslie. It was my pleasure. I love talking about this. Great. Well, if you want to learn more about AC Power's efforts to include solar as a key strategy in redeveloping brownfield sites, you can visit their website. They're at acpowerllc.com. And we'll also drop a link in the show notes for you as well. Thanks for listening and please join us soon for another episode of Redevelopment Trailblazers. Thank you for listening to Redevelopment Trailblazers presented by the Redevelopment Institute. For more information on successful strategies for brownfields redevelopment, urban renewal and community revitalization, visit our website at redevelopmentinstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. See you next time.